Okay, so because when Amber goes back, we have to have Parsha for her. Um, okay, we are at Parsha's Vayera, and it starts at chapter eighteen. Chapter eighteen. Thank you. It's on page seventy-nine, seventy-eight, seventy-nine in the blue chumashim. Great. Yeah. Yeah. We all have Vayera. Okay, so. How many people had a chance to look at the Parsha? Yeah. Nice. Yay. Huh? Perfect. Perfect. How about that org, org summary is, is very nice. Um, uh, okay. So a couple of things. First of all, we have two Torah portions that really talk about Abraham. We have Lechelcha and we have Vayera. What's the big difference between Lechelcha and Vayera? Before and after the bris. Exactly. We discussed this yesterday. Yes. Lechelcha is before the bris. We meet Avram. And at the end of the Torah portion, he has his, his he has a name change. He has his bris. And that's sort of the end of that of last week's Parsha. And this week's Parsha, Parsha Vayera, we have Avraham post-bris. And one of the things that, El, that Stella and I discussed yesterday near the water machine was... Um, near the watering hole. Near the watering hole, right? Um, this is what we talk about near our watering hole. We just talk Torah kind of casually. Um, uh, that Lech Lecha and Vayera have a lot of stories that repeat themselves. Yes. You know, there, there's, there's uh, Sarah gets taken away both times. He has low ta- he has issues with low. There's like stove comes up both times. There's like a lot of stuff going he on. Sarah, he still calls Sarah his sister twice. Exactly. It happens. So there's like a lot of stuff going on over here. So hopefully we're going to get a chance to take a look at that. But before we start anything, I want to do uh, also one more thing, and then we'll do our quick overview, is that Parshas Vayera really is starting in the middle of the story, right? It's, the, it's day, day, day three, it's day three after the bris. Last week's Parsha ended with them having a bris, and now, three days later, so in the conversation, sort of the overview conversation, is the act of having the bris is part of the Avram story. The Avraham story that picks up in this week's parsha is like a whole new situation going on over here, right? We have Avraham post bris, including his immediate aftermath, the three days later where he has revelation from Hashem. All of that is part of a new parsha, you know, like in like in Yiddish is a kind of yeshiva speak, you know. Oh, are you in the parsha? What part? You know, like it's a parsha. It's a whole different parsha, you know. They're not only talking about the Torah parsha; they're talking about like stuff that's going on in your life. So when something's a whole new parsha, we say we use it co- co- that one. Um, I'm never gonna be able to pronounce it. I'm glad you're here on tap, so you can use it when I want to use it. Um, so we, so it's a whole new parsha. Avram post bris is a whole different conversation, and that's where this conversation is going to pick up. Okay. Main highlights. Anybody who read the Parsha, what's main highlights in the Parsha? Um, the three angels come. Three and angels, they, okay. The, the, he, he like invites them in to his tent. We're, we're going cliff notes. So what's the next story after? Sodom. Sodom. We have the whole conversation with Sodom going on and Lo getting saved. Um, Lod and his daughters is yeah, in there. Okay, so all the way at the That's end, it. between that and that, what do we have? Sarah, Sarah gets Sarah taken gets, again. So, Sarah gets taken again. She calls her pregnant. sister again. She's pregnant. She we have a, a lot. We had another injury. Right? Oh, Yitzchak is born. We have Yitzchak born, but and before Yitzchak born. Oh, Ishmael and Hagar, they get kicked down. Right, we have two issues with Hagar in this parsha. I thought that was after Yitzchak was born. One is after, but I think the. Oh, no, last week she got kicked down once. The water tank. 
The water well. The well, exactly. So this is like, yay, we did the whole Parsha. We're done. <laughs> awesome. I'm so excited. We finished that the whole Parsha. so many words <laughs> in two seconds. Read the clip. <laughs> that's, basic, that's basically Parsha what happens. In a now, nutshell. Parsha nutshell. Now, and now we're going to go take a look at some of the stuff, okay? Um, I want to preface with a story that many of you might know, but I think good stories are, are worth repeating, and we'll do it quickly. But they tell the story of the Rebbe Rashab, Rebbe Shalom Verev Lubavitch, whose birthday is actually coming up on Monday, as opposed to my grandson, whose birthday is on Sunday. Non-sequitur, but there you got it. My first grandson. Um, so his birthday, so the Rebbe Rashab's birthday is on Monday, and when he was a little boy, he came to his, fa- his grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek, Rebbe Nachamendel, the third Rebbe Chabad, and he came crying to him, and he said, how come Hashem came to reveal himself to Avraham, and he never came to me? <laughs> Right? Now, his grandfather didn't say, um, you're a stupid little kid, and that's an irrelevant question. He didn't say that. What did he say to him? What was, what was his response to him? He said that when a Jew, a tzaddik, who's 99 years old, decides to circumcise himself, they're worthy of Hashem coming to appear to them. Um, and in Hasidus, when they talk about this, is a story that was handed down and repeated. So what does it mean? When we talk about 99, what is 99 besides an age? Old old, but if you take it out of age, it's like almost perfect. If a hundred is perfect, right, we have three intellectual faculties, we have seven emotional faculties. If you work all of them totally, you would have a hundred. So here's Avram. He's not only 99 years old, he's not an old, only an old person, possibly wrinkly, but probably not because of how Torah describes people. He's almost perfect. He's 99. And he doesn't say like, that's good enough for me. He's like, there's something that I still need to do to come closer in my relationship with Hashem. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to move into that step. And so that's one of the things that his grandfather was telling him. And one of the things that, it's, you know, stories that get t- uh, told over by, by the Chabad Rebbein, they're usually end up having lots of conversation about them. And why do we have the story? And what are we going to learn from the story? And the Rebbe spoke a few times. And he said, first of all, it is natural to want to have a relationship with God. It is natural. A child at a very young age is capable of saying, but I want to see God. And even though we could say, well, he's going to grow up to be a Rebbe, he lives in a house of a Rebbe, so like, maybe he like, has a little bit of a different background, but, the, but the, the cry and the desire to connect is true for all of us, that we want to be able to connect. And the other thing is that, one of the things that, all he's saying is that Avram was our father. If he is our father, that means we have this in our DNA. We inherited this from our father, this desire to want to connect, to, to connect Hashem. So then why don't we see him? Why don't we see him? So his grandfather was explaining to him that, the, that you got it in your DNA, but now you got to work on it. You know, how many of us got report cards that said, so-and-so is not living up to their potential? <laughs> You do not have to raise your hand. You do not have to raise your hand. I'm sure we would all get a version of that at least once in our, in our history. We were perfect. That's why we're here. <laughs> um, to, that we have the ability, that we have the desire to want to connect Hashem, that we have inborn. But what are we going to do about that? How are we going to make that a little bit more real for ourselves? How, what, are we gonna, what steps are we going to take to be able to see it? Not just have it as some kind of you know, ethereal experience, but how are we, what are we going to do to concretize that desire in behavior so that we do see, and that's, that's, that's sort of, you know, everything that I've seen like sourced. But if I'm going to open up my own little personal brackets here, um, I think that the more we see and acknowledge places of Hashem's 
interaction in our lives, the more we see hashgacha pratis, the more we say thank you for the goodness that we're given, the more we, A, train ourselves to see it, and the more it happens. You get more of what you, see, what you, what you look for. Um, and if we, if we just assume it's going to fall on our heads and we're going to be inspired and we're going to have revelation, it's not going to happen. It doesn't work like that. But the question of where's my effort of saying, oh, thank you, God, that I made the bus. I think I always use that example because it's like, <laughs> it's so nice for me when you get to the bus stop and the bus pulls up like two minutes. Like it's enough time to get there. You don't run like a crazy person and you just like, you know, could get on the bus like a mensch, like so nice. Thank you, God. You know, like it's so special, right? The more we see it, the more we're going to see it. The more we train ourselves to see it. The, the, the parentheses on the other side is that it works in both directions. The more we don't like something, the more we harp on what we don't like, the more we're going to see that as well also. So I think our, our challenge is to sort of stay focused on the good and on the kindness and the, the generosity of Hashem, of people around us, to be able to see more and more of that. So that's, that's the beginning of our conversation. That was me. Okay. Um, so, so Hashem, Vayera love Hashem. Hashem appears to him. Be'eloni Mamer. We started at the beginning, if anybody's following along with me, of chapter 18. Um, and he's sitting at the, at his tent, Kichom Hayom, which literally means like the heat of the day. Right? He's sitting like the heat of the day. And what, what do we know? What happened? Why is Avram at the, t- at the, at the door? Because the... he's recovering from a bris. So, but why is he not in bed? Oh, because he's he... waiting for guests. He's waiting for guests. He so wants his form of recovery is going to be to be helping people, not to be sitting in bed with Netflix. So here we go. He's waiting for guests. Um, interesting. Some of the, you know, the, the, the more modern commentators talk about the idea that Kichom Hayom, just like the sun wants to give sunlight and warmth, to everybody, it just gives and gives and gives. Avram was sitting kichom hayom. He was there like the heat of the day. He was there to to shine kindness and goodness, and it didn't matter that nobody was there. And Rashi says that Hashem actually made it the hottest, hottest day. You know, he he took the he took the sun out of its its protection. Does that mean he took off the whole ozone layer? I have no idea. But whatever it was, nobody was outside, and Avram was like, "It's got to be somebody. It's got to be somebody." Okay. And, um, and then, so Hashem is having this interaction with Avram. Parenthetically, Vayera love Hashem. Doesn't say Avram. Doesn't say Hashem came to Avraham. It says Vayera love Hashem. Hashem came to him. And that opens the door for every one of us. That if we open ourselves to this place of connection, Hashem will connect with us. That does not mean you will hear voices in your head. If you do, we have good medication for you. But, uh, but to, to be open to an experience of Hashem is something that um, is open to all of us. And Hashem is ready to, be, to come to everybody. And to, to, so they're happy. We don't actually know what's going on. There's no conversation that goes on. There's no message. There's no anything. There's just revelation, which is in direct um, behavior to, his, to the circumcision that he just had. And all of a sudden, he sees these three people, right? And he goes to them, and he bows, and he's come to my house, come to my house, blah, blah. And he does all these kind of stuff with them, Interesting, it says um, in verse 7, it says, Vel Avram, that Avraham ran to the cattle. And the Medrash actually tells us that he was chasing, that he went to go get the animals to slaughter them, to, cut, to, to prepare food for the people, and they ran away. The animals, the animals ran away. 
And Avram chased the animals. And he chased them all the way to the Mars Machpelah. Whoa. And when he got into the Mars Machpelah and he found the animals there, the manager says that he smelled the entrance to Gan Eden. And he said, I want to be here. And he heard a voice that said, this is your place, but this is not your time. So when it came time to buy a, a burial place for Sarah in next week's Parsha, he knew exactly where to go. Because he had been there before. I don't know if it actually works. Maybe it just uh, smells a little bit musty. But I'm just saying, but Avram knew exactly when he had to go bury Sarah. He knew exactly where to go because he had been there before. He had chased the animals and he went, he ended up over there. Do you know where to find the that? It's in the Medrash. I can try to find a few. Okay. You cannot make up Medrash, by the way. Medrash is wild and amazing and fantastic and so crazy. <laughs> you can't find it. But that's what the Medrash says. And he ran all the way there. Remind me after, so I'll try to find you the source for it. And so he knew exactly. When it came time to bury Sarah, he knew exactly where to go because he'd been there. Okay, so he goes and he chases the animals and he prepares this whole thing. Everybody asks the question. We know Rashi tells us that we learn from this whole encounter with Avram and the angels and and God, that it's greater, having guests is greater than receiving Hashem. Right? Rashi brings it down, that it's, you know, it's greater to have this, to have guests and to have an interaction with God. So, a couple of things, that, a couple of questions that get raised over here. A, how did Avram know this? How did Avram, we learned it from Avram, but how did Avram know like, he had God there, and he's like, just a second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go chat with those people and see if I can help them a little bit. Like, how did Abraham know that? So the, the Mepharshim say he had in him, he's having a revelation, having whatever is happening with, with him and Hashem, doesn't tell us what's going on, but Hashem is there with him. And he, out of the corner of his eye, sees these people, and he has such a desire to go help them. And that desire, where part of you would say like, but Hashem's here, but I really want to go help these people, was what the message, was a message to him to say, oh, you can leave God and you could, you could go take care of the other people. One of the, you know, the Bali Musar talks about the idea that um, we know, like it's kind of, I don't know if it's intuitive or maybe that's my word or, or for it. If I have a lot of resources, and you don't have, so I'd be a nice person if I gave you those resources. Now, if I have physical resources and somebody else needs them, so if I give them some of my physical resources, I'm a nice person. What about if I have spiritual resources and somebody else doesn't have them? Then that would be a nice thing, but kind of intuitive for me to share my spiritual resources for somebody else. But what does Avram do? Avram takes his spiritual resources and puts them aside to help somebody physically. And that is mind-blowing. That here he is, he's, he's at the pinnacle, he's having a relationship with Hashem, he's doing something, but somebody else needs food, and he was able to step away from what he needed spiritually for somebody else's physical, that is absolutely, you know, lesson worthy. To give somebody spiritually when you have more spiritually, sababa. To give somebody physically when you have more physically, but to give somebody physically when you to take away from your phys- spiritual, to give to somebody physical, that's, that's the finish. That's like what's, what's super mind-blowing, Kara. Okay? Chabad vibes. 
What? I'm sick. No, come in anyway. Come in. I don't know if that's that's the answer, but it's. I think it's. I think. <laughs> Sorry. I, no, it couldn't. I, I don't want to encourage that kind of behavior. <laughs> Stay, take care of yourself. But I think that I think that um, you know we're we're in a place and we're receiving spiritually. And then to say, I think this is everybody who's getting involved with the Chesed projects that they're doing, all the various projects, is saying, I'm taking away from time where I could be spending enhancing my spirituality and my learning, and I'm giving to somebody else physically. I think that's very, very much the, the focus of what we're talking about over here. Like, you could, one could argue, well, you're not sitting and learning 25 hours a day. I know, but you know what I mean? Anyway, I don't know if that made sense in any language except in my head, but there you have it. Um, the other question, then we're going to move away from this story is it's weird that we learn about how great Hachnas Sarchem is, you know, having guests from a story where the people didn't actually need his help. They, they were angels. They were angels. They didn't actually need food. He didn't actually help them. He didn't actually, they were not wayfarers who needed lodging and water and food. So how could we learn how great Hachnas Sarchem is from a situation where he didn't actually do anything. Later on, we hear that Avon goes to Beersheba and he has his whole tree thing and he, he's spreading monotheism. And he, like, learn it from there. Learn it from someplace else. Learn it where he actually does something. And again, the Bali Muslims talk about the idea that when we do something good, it isn't only about the recipient. It's about us. Where's our space of wanting to reach out and help somebody else? It doesn't matter what happens on the other end. It doesn't matter if they, in fact, really needed it. What happens if you, you know, they tell a story, and I forgot who the story was with, about somebody who came to a rabbi, and he told him this whole sob story, and the rabbi like, gave him so much money, and da-da-da-da-da, and afterwards somebody came and said, oh no, it's somebody, a woman who made some kind of, somebody in Jerusalem, somebody, a woman who made some kind of like dessert that had healing product properties, I don't know exactly how it worked, but this Jerusalem, so whatever, and somebody <laughs> came and told her this whole story, that these people were sick, and he needed more, and he needed more, and he needed more, and so she gave so much of what she had, and then, um, and somebody said, oh, you know, he just wanted dessert, like, he's having a party, and he wanted to use your yummy dessert for the party, and she's like, oh, thank God his family isn't sick, you know, like, that was her response. It's not about what the person who's on the other end it doesn't mean that we should just randomly give out our resources without doing any kind of due diligence. But like, unless we're giving serious amounts of money, I'm very into the, in, this is Riffle Margaret editorializing again. If somebody's asking you, just give. You, you think it's a sp- suspicious, weird story, give a little bit. You know, you don't have to, if, yeah, it's about, it's about us training ourselves to be good people and to be kind people and to be giving people even if it isn't intuitive or natural for us. And even if we're really busy doing something else, and yeah. Okay? Uh, okay. So what happens to these people? They come, three angels, they come and they give three messages. What do we learn? Rashi tells us multiple times. Each An- angel had its own job. Yes. Angels do not multitask. Most people actually don't multitask, but angels officially don't multitask. We, do, we move quickly from task to task. We don't actually very hard to actually multitask, but that's, again, editorializing. I'm not going to go there. But um, each angel has one task. So what are, the, what, are the, what are the three angels, and what is their task? Um, to tell Sarah that she's going to have a baby to, um, to save Lot. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. But they're, to heal Avram. To heal Avram. And then Sodom and Gomorrah. And then the other one is going to continue on to destroy Sodom. 
right? And then the person, the, the, the person, the angel that's going to actually heal Avram is also going to be able to go and save Lot. So those are the three angels on their three, on their three missions. Um, and and Chassid is like, it's not so nice to like sort of diss the angels. <laughs> like, why do I say that? Why does Rashi keep saying like, they can only do one thing, they can only do one thing. And, and, and the question that, that, that the river raises is that maybe it isn't, um, this is my language, not his, you know, maybe it's not a diss on the angels and maybe it is a statement for ourselves that angels can't multitask because whatever they're doing, they're there fully. They aren't thinking about something else at the same time. Whatever they're doing, they are 100% focused on that. And many times we're doing something, but part of our mind is planning something else, trying to find somebody else to talk to. Like, there is a place where it's not a bad thing to be like an angel and do one thing properly and fully. I mean, it has a, there are advantages to being human and being able to multitask, but there's also something very special about being able to truly be focused on one thing at a time and how well would we do a job if we actually did it, if we actually did it like that. Um, we're not getting into the whole situation about Sarah laughing, the whole situation about her being old and how she could have a baby. Um, I want to point that, and it's going to be later on the part, but I think it's so, so, so interesting that Yitzchak, if Avraham is Chesed, what is Yitzchak's main character trait? Gura. What is his name? Yitzchak. Yitzchak, to laugh, right? Like, you got to wonder, how does that, you know, how does that line up over there, right? Um, so that's just an interesting thought that I'm not going to develop more. Huh? Gvura is strength, it's borders, it's um, all those kind of like, sometimes we look at Gvura and we think it's mean. It's not. It's, it's the strength of character to do something and to put up borders where it's not appropriate. And we're going to talk about Yitzhak later because, okay. Um, okay, so then the people start leaving and what does Hashem say? Hashem says, I can't not tell Avram what's happening. Um, this is his territory. A, this is his territory. B, I love him and I trust him. How could I not tell him what's going to happen with his dome? Now, we know from last week's Torah portion that the people of his dome were terrible. They were actually terrible people. Pasuk says about them, they were wicked, terrible people. Like even for that time period? Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because the Medrash wants to know what was so terrible about what was so terrible about the people of Stoim. And it's interesting that in Pirkeiovis we have the reference to the characters of the Sodom people, right? You know when you talk about what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, blah 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 blah. Yeah, that whole what's mine is yours and yours is mine. Blah. So it's, the Pirkeiovis actually says somebody who says what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Zu midas stoim. This is a character trait for the people of Sodom. So when we want to know what's so bad about Sodom, they legislated not being helpful. Mine is mine. Yours is yours. We don't mix. If you don't have it, it's not my job to help you. It's not my job to... The uh, Medrash is full of stories of, of Sodom people, right? They talk about how everybody in Sodom minted their own money. And when somebody would come, if somebody would wander into the stadium and want to collect money, they would give them money, but nobody would sell them anything because it wasn't their money. So the person would end up dying of hunger, and the person would come and take their money back. Here's my money. Like, the, the, the strict letter of the law, and, and they talk about this a lot, that the, a society that is only strictly letter of the law, that's done. 
what does the law say that we have to do? There's no human compassion. There's no extenuating circumstances. There's none of that. Sudaim was, was, that was Mita Sudaim. Sudaim was, they didn't give anybody anything. They were in an extremely, extremely fertile part of the country. That's where we talk about how Light looks at it. He sees this beautiful, fertile space. They don't give anybody anything. You made it on your own, great. You can't make it on your own, not my problem. It's not my job to help you. That's not what Stein does. And it's very interesting that Light, who grows up with Avraham, chooses to go to Stein. You said, I had a question about this last week. You said to hold it till this week. Okay. I said, why did Lot go there if he knew it was bad? And why did he stay righteous? So the question, so, right, so the question is, did he stay righteous? Okay. So why did Stein go there? <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> why did Light go to Stein? Right? Why did Light go to Stein? Aram says, go look around wherever you want. Pick where you want. I would like to give a, a, a tangential answer. It's, it's not a sourced answer. But I think that life with Avraham was very hard for a regular normal person to always be in a place of giving and sharing and being magnanimous. It's not so easy. Go to Stoim. It's beautiful. It's fertile. Everybody's like their own person situation. I don't have to worry about the whole world. I just have to worry about myself. And I think that is a very seductive kind of place to go to. Now, what's very interesting is, and the Torah doesn't really give us a lot of timeline over here. How long has Lot been in stone already? We don't know. But what we do know is that the Torah tells us that the day that the angels come to Sodom, Lot became, uh, Lot was appointed as a judge of the city. He was sitting at the gates because he was appointed as a judge of the city. Which means to tell us, when you said, how did he stay righteous? The question is, did he stay righteous? Did he stay righteous? Because the fact that he becomes their judge means he knows their ways. He knows he, the, not only he knows their ways, but he's mastered them. And he, I think he was judging according to their laws. Yes, that means the people of the city say you are one of us. You get our way of thinking. You'll be a good judge. He doesn't. It's not like. He could just make himself a judge. Somebody had to appoint him a judge. If the people of Sodom said, Lot, you could be a judge here, that means, right? We don't know that Lot stayed righteous. So it's interesting because the conversation then comes up because we're, we're going to come back to a second, but Hashem says that I'm going to go down and I'm going to see what's happening, right? He talks about, he talks to Abraham. Don't the angels go to Lot? He doesn't just go to Lot. So, so, in, in chapter 18, verse 21, Hashem says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to see, right? Where did Hashem go down and see what was happening in Sodom? We're going to come back to this in a second, but where do we come back? So the, so the Mephorshim talk about the idea, the commentators talk about the idea that when the angels went to Sodom, that was Hashem's emissaries coming to Sodom. And the question is, does the presence of a godly force make a difference, Right? Does the presence of three angels in the city make a difference? So now we say, let's put the pieces together. Lot became the judge that day, which means he's totally bought into the Sodom ideology and methodology, mm-hmm. okay? And then you have the Sodom people who are the terrible, horrible people, right? The angels come. What does Lot do? He's um, studying. He's, he invites them in. He invites them in. He, this spark of goodness that he has kicks in. In the presence of real goodness, it kicks in again. 
What about the rest of the people? They all gather around and try to get them out to hand over them. Right. Did they, did, they, did they become uplifted and good and kind because they saw they were in the presence of God? They actually like stirred something like... And then, oh, one could say, what, or we could say that this is, you know, this is breaking the routine of what we do. We don't allow guests. We don't have people coming in. We don't, this is not what we do. And so they reacted very forcefully that this is not what we do. So the angels blinded them. So then the angels blinded them. So, so in the conversation of was, did Lot stay righteous? One could argue that he didn't, but he also was able to have it reawakened in the presence of goodness. Mm-hmm. One could also argue that he didn't hold on to that goodness for a very long time, right? Because we know that once Lot is going to be out of the city and he's going to be with his daughters, he's going to actually father children with his daughters. Yeah, I don't. I never understood that. There's like, nothing to understand. Like, There's nothing to understand. If she intoxicates him and then he, she rapes him, like. However, yeah, both of them. Like, well, I just, whatever. Yes, they both. They 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 both end up. Listen, in their defense, and we're going to come back to a second. In a world with no instant communication, and you just saw your whole city burn to the ground, why would you think anybody was still alive? Why would their logic not make sense? You know what I mean? Like, you could argue, and you could also argue in the other direction. It does not make sense, because they were at Sora before. Correct, but they don't know what happened at Sora when they left. They walk, they leave Sodom, and the place burns behind them, right? You want to, like, go check? Like, so I was like, we could all come up with ten different things that they could have done. They weren't allowed to look back, and then no, afterwards, but said it, but then, but then once they're in the mountain, Lila's right. Go take a look before you take such a drastic action. Yeah. You know, maybe you want to check this one out before you decide they were the last people in the world. Perhaps yeah. um, it's interesting because the, because the Medrash talks about the idea that when they came to the cave. There was wine prepared in the cave. There was like all kinds of stuff. Oh, so like it was that was sort of telling them. People were here. No, 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 no. Not people were here telling them this is the route to go. Mm. This is the route to go. And in the, at the end of the day, we end up having two nations coming out of these women. Right? Ammon and Moab. Who's coming from Moab? Ruth. Ruth. Whoa. Full circle. Not only full circle, but like in the whole conversation of seeds of Mashiach, seeds of Mashiach are always going to be planted where there are weird, crazy questions going on. <laughs> that if you check any of the lineage, that's what's happening. Mashiach is getting planted when everybody looks and is like, really? Huh. And part of it, and part of it is, um, part of the things that they talk about in different, you know, different versions talk about, specifically in Hasidus, the power of a, the Atzadik's prayer is so, so strong that if, let's say for David's birth and further on, if, there, if the tzaddik would have known that there was a special neshama coming down, they would have davened for it. But then, there, but then the birth would have been limited to how big of an imagination the tzaddik could have. But if it's a place, with, if the scenario is such that nobody's going to pray for this child, then God's like, I can do whatever I want. I can give full force to it because who's gonna, no, nobody's prayers are stopping me from giving the full energy. And so... As all of this is going on, we do have the seeds of Mashiach being planted over here. They're many steps away, but this is the beginning. This is the beginning. From all, we're going to have Ruth. It's going to happen. It's going to come down from there. Okay. Um, I wanted to say one more thing about Sidon. 
Sorry, I got you off. No, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. No, oh, that's a really good question. That was a very good question. Thank you. And thank you. I'm so glad that you wrote it down so you remembered it. Shkaya. Um, I want to say one thing. Um, again, in this conversation about Shem saying that he's going to come down and he's going to see what the situation is, there's a very, very important lesson for us. They talk about for judges. Rashi says that judges should only see cases where they actually have seen the they've seen the the situation and they've seen the witnesses. No, no, no hearsay allowed. They really go down and be part of it. But one of the things that the the Bepharshim also talk about the, the idea is Hashem is in a position. I don't know, I don't know if it's like makes sense to say this about Hashem, right? He can't imagine a place of sin. He's God, right? God doesn't sin. Like, how does that happen, right? So how can Hashem judge a situation that he can't imagine? Eridana, I'm going to go out of the place that I am now, and I'm going to see what's going on. And I'm going to see, when I go out of my space of perfectness, can I somehow look at them and say, is this normal or is this weird? Is this good behavior or is this bad? For my, for my position... There's no way this is good. But can I see it from their position? Can I come into their... Erdina, can I come down and can I see how this could have happened? Can I find mitigating circumstances for what's going on over here? And I think that, you know, Hashem actually comes down, has this whole conversation with Avram and says, no, there's, there's nothing redeemable here. Um, and it's very... Just one thing that's very interesting where Avram says, are there any righteous people in the city... And the, and, the, and the commentators talk about the idea that the question isn't, are there isolated people in the corner in their little yeshiva who are doing good stuff? Are there, is there anybody in the city who can have an impact on the people who's doing good stuff? Because if not, then there's really nothing to talk about. Um, but, but back to us, how many times do we look at behavior? Maybe, we, whatever. And we're maybe sometimes judgmental about what we see. And we say... How could that possibly be? I know we never say things like that, but if we could imagine such a situation, and Hashem's like, that's not how you do it. You need to, can you know, walk a mile in their sh- in their shoes? Can you go down to where they are and to their headspace and to their background behavior circumstances and say, in that space, can I see how this happened? Can I be favorable? Can I judge favorably? And I think it's such a powerful lesson for me and I, I think for all of us. to. We live in an age that demands that we be judgmental. That's what's going on all around us. And can we fight that? Can we fight that, that, that draw to, to make snap, snap judgments and instant decisions based on what people look like and what people... Can we, can we get to know the real situation? So in life, we can't always. Let's be honest. It's, we can't always investigate every single situation. We do make snap decisions all the time. But can we somehow stop ourselves and say, but am I looking at this fairly? Am I, am I, am I judging this from where I am right now? Or can I see what's going on? And sort of tangentially, I guess we could, t- we could connect it to Lot's wife, where when they, get, when they get saved and she turns back and she... Dies. She well, gets turned she into a pillar of salt. I guess she dies, but she gets turned into a pillar of salt. P.S. If you ever go to the Dead Sea and some tour guide tells you this is Mrs. Lote, do not believe them. <laughs> There's two Mrs. Lote. There's more than two, and the whole thing was underwater. 
as, as recently as 150 years ago. So, like, do not believe them, okay? My daughter's a tour guide, and I know that not everything they say is exact. So, <laughs> I'm just saying, know that if they say, oh, this is Mrs. Loth, that's not true. It's this rock formation, this salty formation that kind of looks like a figure, not true. But, 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 why, what, what was the prohibition against looking back? What was the prohibition against looking back? You're not worthy of seeing the level of destruction. You're not so good. Hmm. You haven't earned your place to be judgmental about the people that you look. Oh, look at them. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, they had it coming to them. Mm-hmm. I'm like awesome. That's why I'm getting saved. No, you're not getting saved because you're awesome. You're getting saved because of Avram. Getting saved as a favor. Huh? It's a favor. It's a favor to Avram. It's not even a favor mm-hmm. to Lot. It's a favor to Avram. And, 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 and in our lives, how many times do we look at behavior where we were there not so long ago and we look at it in judgment and we look at it in disdain and we say, how could they? Are we far enough away to, to make those calls? And if we're not, look forward. This is the direction we need to go. We need to say, how am I moving forward? It's not helpful for me to look back and say, but you know, no, that's not the pl- that's not our place of growth. That's our place of being of stagnation, of saying that's not good. But can we say, look forward? Where do I move forward to? How do I grow? How do I? What are the next steps to take? That's the place that 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 we don't have to keep looking back at the destruction in our past. Not helpful. It's not helpful. There's a place like if it's in the past. We've done our therapy. We've done our, our tshuva. Move forward. Move forward. We don't have to keep looking back. We really do not have to keep looking back. If you haven't done your therapy yet, then take care of it. But, but really, it's not, it doesn't help us in our relationship with God to keep going back. Okay? That's the end of my storm story. Um, then we have the story of Lot and, and his daughters. We're going to sort of... What were the two names of the nation? What were the names of the Moab and Ammon. Moab and Ammon. The older daughter who, who Rashi and... Ammon? Ammon. A-M-M-O-N. That the, the first daughter who initiated this whole process, and Rashi says was less sanua about the whole situation. She was very brazen in her behavior. She names her child Moab from my father. And Ammon is, is, is my nation. So she, yeah. And, and then Avram actually moves away a little bit because he doesn't want to be so close to them. It's so messed up. Yeah, but I want to say something, one last thing about... I want Correct. Um, I want to say one last thing, which is... I want, to, I want to say one last thing about prayer and the power of prayer. Because Lila mentioned they had just left Tohar and, you know, what was up with that? Why did they think Tohar was still there? Avram Avinu, the most righteous person at that time, on the face of the planet. Hashem's like, I'm going to destroy all these people. And he's like, no, 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 right? And they do their whole bargaining situation. And then what happens? He can't save any of them, right? Can't save any of the cities. Lot says, the angel's like, go to the mountains and be saved over there. And what does Lot say? I can't, it's too hard, it's too far. Can I just go to Tor? Can I just go to Tor? And the angel's like, I guess checks with God. And it's like, okay, fine. Tor, for multiple reasons, was able to be not destroyed. That did not make sense in English, but 
I don't know another way to say it, less cumbersomely. Um, so they go, and guess what? Soar was saved because of Lot. Avram couldn't save them, but Lot could save them. And there's going to be a theme that we're going to come up again in our Parsha, versions of the power of personal prayer. Avram, as righteous as he was, was a little bit removed from the situation, right? He was, he, he davened, he gave it his all, but at the end of the day, Lot, his life was on the line. If I couldn't get there, I'm going to die. And the way we pray when our life is on the line is much more intense than when we're davening for a situation that needs help, as great as Avram was. And the, I guess the lesson for us is when we daven, do we daven because it's words that we have to say, or do we daven because we understand that our life is on the line? And if we do not have Hashem's help, we will not have health, and we will not have parnasa, and we will not have anything if we don't have Hashem. And the way we daven should have a little bit of that desperation that Lot had when he said, I need, I need this, I, I, I need this, because that actually worked. He was actually able to save the city. I don't know what happened when he left. Did the city stay saved? Did he, uh, I don't know what happened, but I'm just saying. That's, that's pretty powerful prayer. Alicia. It says here that his name was Ben Ami, not Amon. But he was called Amon. The nation was called. Okay. The nation's called Amon. Okay? Um, the Seder. Sodom gets destroyed. Go there. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Then they move to Gror. And we have a repeat of our story. Tell you that you're my sister. And one of the things that Stella and I discussed yesterday that I'm going to repeat here because I actually liked it. I thought about it again and I liked it a lot. Um, uh, that going back to Avram as soul and Sarah as body, there's a certain place. When, once they leave Mitzrayim, once Sarah's is power gives Sarah back, what does he say to them? Anybody remember from last week? Go away. Go away. Don't stay. He knows that the city is terrible, the people are not so good, and he doesn't want to, he can't ensure their safety if they stay in Egypt. What does Abimelech say to them? Stay whatever you want. Stay, hang out, be part of our community. And there's a different level of darkness of the body and soul when you go to a place that says, we hate your guts, we will kill you in a heartbeat. Or if you go someplace where they're like, Come be in our melting pot. Come join us. Don't you want to be like us? Hang out here. The, 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 the vigilance and the, the mysterious nefesh that's required of the body and soul in an Avimelech situation. Everybody's lovely. Everybody's wonderful. We'd love you to set up shop here. Is not at all comparable. As hard as it is to have a conversation, to go into a situation where it's an Egypt-like situation and they want to kill you and they want you dead and don't stay here, that's very different than the place of comfort and ease and how do we hold on to our value system in a place where we're so welcome and it's so wonderful. How do we stay, stay true to the mission of the soul in such a place? Um, you know, they talk of the, the early Hasidim who came to America were very uncomfortable <laughs> with America 
the Jews, the, the Hasidim who were in Russia, and there was oppression, and there was da 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 da. Like, the, they could figure out how to like serve Hashem in spite of the communists, in spite of the, like, like, how do we do cat and, you know, cat and mouse Isn't with them? Isn't that a mimer? Like, it, there's a mimer that basically talks about how, like, the Jews that were in, like, Soviet Russia, they had a better time, like, upholding, um, and like really like keeping to Judaism because because well not just because they were more isolated the oppression the oppression, the oppression the oppression protects you in a way yeah. you're never welcome it's something like you have to constantly fight for whereas like in a place with religious freedom like it's much easier to like mm-hmm. be a little bit more relaxed and easygoing and like integrated so I don't know I'm I'm not just doubting I don't know enough my mom to say oh yeah it's that mosque it's that you know that that mimer but it was the the original Sidim who came were very uncomfortable by the the comfort of America and the complacency that it bred in the people. It was it was something they didn't know how to deal with. How do you, how could you be passionate when you're sitting in comfortable chairs and you know and everything's you know everything's wonderful? Um, we are going to prove that it's possible to be passionate even when things are good. We'll take the good God, give us good. It's fine. We'll figure out how to be passionate and, and on fire for God, even in a space where, where things, are, where things are, are comfortable and good. You don't need to test us with any other way. Um, so we have the situation. They go to Avimelech. Okay. Um, I, I want to go to the Akeda because... It's the last, I know, it's the last Aliyah. It's the seventh Aliyah. We're skipping over the birth of Yitzchak. We're skipping over the... The meal, the, the, the feast that they make when they wean Yitzchak. We're skipping over Saras. Actually, we're not skipping over. I'm sorry. We're not skipping over. I, I quote this to my husband all the time. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm going to quote to my husband all the time? Do what Sarah says. Whatever Sarah says, do. Listen to Sarah, right? Sarah says, get rid of this kid. He's terrible. And Avram's very upset by that. And Hashem says, uh, listen, listen to her. And I don't only bring it here. I don't only it's here. It's chapter twenty-one, verse, verse twelve. I don't only bring it because, like, you listen to Sarah because you know because I'm a woman. But um, it's so 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 important as a development of a body and soul. If Avraham is the body, sorry, Avraham is the soul, and Sarah is the body, and the body says this is no good for our continuity. And the soul's like, what? And God's like, listen to the body. This is a body and soul that has been so refined that the body itself will react to a situation that is spiritually dangerous more than the, more than the soul. And that's very important. Now, I, I don't know about anybody else in this room. I don't think that's where I am, personally. But I think it's someplace to, it's someplace to strive to. I remember it. I don't know if I told anybody this. I remember years ago, I was in an amusement park and they, one of these shows, they had a hypnotist. I'm not saying it was a real hypnotist. I'm not saying whatever. I'm not saying anything, right? But they had this girl come up to be hypnotized. Look how amazing. And he does. You are sleeping. You're whatever. And then he says to her, put your key in. You're sitting in, your, in the driver's seat. Put your key in. Put the key in the ignition. She puts it in. He says, start the car. I saw this, and she did this. Mm-hmm. Right? She clicked in her seatbelt before she started her ignition. Our 
mitzvahs have to be so real to us that just like she wouldn't start the car under yes or not, real or fake hypnosis, the first thing she did was she clicked on her seatbelt. And I think that our spiritual seatbelt has to be something that whatever habit we are thinking about, we want to develop, we want to work on, it has to be so real to us that when you wake up in the middle of the night, you say, I raise that draw. (laughs) 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 Whatever it is, right? Um, It it takes time and it takes effort and it it takes consciousness. It takes consciousness to be able to say, my body is instinctively reacting in a holy manner. I wouldn't say that normally we, like we're going to ace that all the time. I think it's definitely something that we could aim for. I think it's definitely a place to, a place to grow to. And I think it's possible. Maybe not for everything, but at least in some places, it's possible for us to, to get such a comfort level in a good way with a mitzvah that it's just so part of us and it's not going anyplace. So yes, I did want to share that puzzle with you, and not ever, not for the reasons you thought, also for the reasons you thought. I'm talking to today. <laughs> nah, 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 right next to me is fine. Okay, then we have Abimelech comes to make a, a covenant with Avraham. We're going to skip it for right now. Okay, chapter 22, and I know that we did it with whoever was here for Elul, uh-huh. did this very well, so I'm not going to do it very, very well. Because you right, we, first of all, we have four minutes left to class, and also because you spent a lot of time in it. This is, according to most counts, Avram's 10th test. Okay? It's his 10th test of will he do things for Hashem? Will he do things that Hashem ask, asks? And, um, and we just have to, for a second, contrast. Hashem says, I, I'm raising a question, I don't have the answer, okay? So if you all have sleepless nights because of me, somebody come with an answer and let me know. Hashem says to Avram, I'm going to destroy stone. Terrible, wicked, horrible people. And what does Avram do? Argue. He argues. He argues. Could you do such a thing? Blah, blah, blah. How do you do it? Right? He argues. In this Parsha. It's in this Parsha. It's not even so long ago. Right? He goes through the whole situation. Can you, he argues. Hashem says, Take him up for a sacrifice. Please, could you pass this one? He doesn't blink. He doesn't blink. That's messed up. <laughs> well, we could say that, or we could say, what is Avraham worshipping? Is he worshipping himself and his sense of righteousness? Or is he worshipping Hashem and what Hashem says for him to do? We could argue just like you could say, why didn't the girls look out of the mountain and say, is there anybody still alive that we can have kids with, right? We could argue the question in many, many different ways. But the, but the end of the day, you see, we have like the, the we're like Monday, Mac, Monday morning quarterbacks. Like, we know that it doesn't happen. We know that he doesn't end up sacrificing him. He doesn't know that going into it. If he's worshiping himself and his sense of everything, then, then he would argue. Not only would he argue, he would say to God, you promised me this great nation. You promised me this whole everything, this, you know, monotheistic. So are you saying his belief was waning when he argued about Sodom? No, no, it was a different conversation. It's, it, a, different, it's a different conversation. Different conversation. Um, I, think that his, I think that him fighting for Sodom is totally what he should have done. 
But one could argue that it goes in line with his character trait. He's a kind person. He's not looking to, to have everybody destroyed. So now the question is, was that because he's a kind person? It's because he believes in God. And, if he, and what the Akedah, which you had this conversation, so we're not going to get this, is proving that, his, that all of his relationships and everything that he did till now was because he believes in God, right? But um, uh, I lost my chance thought a second. Oh, because you said, I like, I'm, I'm not even from California, and I'm like stream of consciousing. Um, Avram doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say to Hashem, can we think about this? What do you, you know, how do you, how do, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say, are you sure? Like, he doesn't put up any kind of resistance. And in the same, in the same harsha, we have him arguing for Sodom. Um, and the Mepharshim talk about the idea, and in Hasidus he talks about it a lot, that Avram was there to serve Hashem. And when Hashem said, do something that goes against everything that you've taught everybody, he fought child sacrifice, he forgot, he fought, you know, he has no continuity. He said, remember last week's Parsha? And I said, I couldn't Yishmo be like the, my ear. Yitzchak here is 37 years old. He's not married. He has no kids. Everything that Avraham fought for is about to end. But if he's not serving himself, if he's serving Hashem, Hashem says do this, then he does it. And that's the difference. Meaning, in the place of Sodom, what was being asked of him was to advocate for them. What was at, being asked for them here is for, for, Hashem to, for Avraham to show to Hashem that whatever you do, whatever Hashem asks of you to do, you're doing it because Hashem asked of you to do it. And that becomes the pinnacle of, of his service. I want to just say one thing which is so, so, to me, very interesting. Not everybody counts the Akedah as the 10th test. We're like, how can it get bigger than that? The Akedah? Like, that's... They count that the 10th test was having to buy the burial plot for Sarah. He has this amazing, amazing experience with Hashem. He ended up not slaughtering his kid. Everything is, like, amazing and wonderful. And now he has to come down and deal with daily routine and deal with daily minutia. And he has to, he's promised his land. He still has to buy the thing, da, da, da. Like, back to the conversation about the chassidim in Russia, the chassidim in America. To put your life on the light, on the light. On put, the line. Thank you. Put your life on the line for God. Wow. To live every single day after that, doing the right thing, in a way, is so much harder. It's, a, it's like, could one even say, it's like a form of Chinese water torture, you know? Like, every single day, doing the same. You don't have this big blast of like, woo, we're going to like die for God, woo! But they probably didn't say it like that, but I'm just saying, like, you know, like, it, there's the, the energy of that opposition sort of propels you forward. And then you have to go and you have to live life. And you have to be nice to people who are not nice. And all these things that you, all of these things didn't really happen so much. Um, and, and that was a test. So I want to give us all a bracha. We're sort of closing the parsha. That is our second conversation about Avraham. Next week, by Chai Sarah, we're going to hear about Avraham, but it's sort of tangential to 
other stories. This is really the end of the, the, the story. And one of the things that Avram teaches us more than anything else is sometimes the thing that God wants of us is in our nature and it's easy for us to do and we do it happily and easily, not because it's our nature, but because God asked us to do it. And sometimes the things that God asks us to do are a little bit harder. And when we're able to stretch our muscles, our spiritual muscles, to be able to do serve Hashem in different areas of our life, not just in the places that it's so easy and so normal and so comfortable, but sometimes in the places that it's a little bit uncomfortable and the places that it's a little bit harder to accept, that we have to understand that when we do that, we're, we're A, yes, we're totally serving Hashem, but B, we're also proving to ourselves and to anybody who else cares, like Hashem, that everything that we did for Him was only because He asked us to do it. And to hold on to that place of forward-looking, of not being judgmental, and being able to step into a future and a, and a, and a place with Hashem that is comfortable, sometimes challenging, but also that becomes so automatic to us, it's a good thing that we actually can do it in our sleep. Have an awesome rest of the day. Have an amazing Lavis! Yay!